Thank you, worship band. Funny story, I was out at the lake a couple years ago, and I was listening to some Christian music, and that song came on, and I thought, Charla. <laughs> so I called Charla and said, I heard this song, and I could just imagine you singing it, and she said, I already sing that at church. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but it just was, I don't know, and then it just is like, that song was for Charla. Well, welcome again. If you're joining us online, um, we are going to be sharing communion a little bit later on in the service. Actually, this whole service is about communion this morning. So please get wine, juice, bread, whatever, however you like to partake and, and be ready for that a little bit later on. Now, if you didn't get sermon notes, you need sermon notes today. So raise your hand if you need them. We'll get some to you. There's one there. Anybody else? Sermon notes, one over here. One, two there, one over here. Anyone else? We need someone near the front here. They're not getting to the front. I like to see Tim running around. Anyone else? Uh, one at the back there, Tim. Uh, sorry, Tim. Who are you? Lynn? Fred. <laughs> ah. You know, there are, there are very few things that are more cultural than food. And you know what's neat about food? Political correctness is not yet snuck in there. It's still okay to say Chinese food, French food, Italian food, Mexican food. It has not been politically correcticized at this point. In fact, quite the opposite. People are really proud of their food, aren't they? You know, buffalo wings. If you said Chicago wings, you know, you'd, you'd get into trouble, right? Philly cheesesteak, French toast, French fries, English muffins, I got to tell you. When we first came over to Canada, and, and I saw English muffins, I'm from England, that was the first time I had ever seen English muffins. We don't have them in England. <laughs> Italian sausage, that's another one. I asked for Italian sausage when I was in Italy, and they're like, oh? Of course, they wouldn't call it Italian sausage, would they? Because it's in Italy. It's kind of like um, Hamburg, hamburgers. And where I come from, you know, my, Sandra and I have just been on vacation last week. Um, the county that I come from has a thing called Devon Cream Teas. And, and this is how territorial food and cultural food can be sometimes. A cream tea is it's a scone, which is like a biscuit, like a sweet biscuit. Now, if anybody's watching in England, they're sending me daggers now. But it's kind of like a biscuit, and you put jam on it. What do you call jam? Preserves? Or jelly? And cream, there's this very rich cream that comes from the county that I come from. It's thick. It's almost like butter. But the county right next door to us, they like to do cream teas as well, Cornwall. They put the jam on first and then the cream. And in Devon, we put the cream on first and then jam. These two counties are about to go to war <laughs> over the way you prepare a cream tea. Now, I did a little taste test when I was over in England and... I am from Devon, but sadly, the Cornish are right. It's better when you put the jam first and then, and then the cream. Oh, it's good. You just pile it up. Oh, it's just so good. But, but the, the other thing with food, though, you know, what's that saying? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Food is so cultural. So let me tell you about some different foods. In, uh, in Japan, they eat tuna eyeballs, yeah, I thought that would get a reaction from you. 
Uh, Saudi Arabia, they eat sparrows' brains. A friend of mine was in the British military. They were, they were in Saudi Arabia, and they were instructed that if you get invited to a sheik's home or somebody's home, you eat what they give you. You do not offend them. And out came a plate of sparrows' heads, and you pick it up by the beak and suck the brain out. <laughs> and they had to do that. In Cambodia, they eat fried tarantula. In Israel, they eat locust. In England, we eat kidney, which here, you know, I just love it when you're cooking the kidney. You've got that sweet aroma of urine. <laughs> Jellied eels, that's another thing we eat in England. Um, but food is very cultural, you know, it's just one of those things. Now, While some food is kind of like, "Mm -hmm," you know, you might not want to try those. There is one food that seems to transcend culture. And it is the base food for almost any meal, no matter where you are in the world, and no matter what meal that you're eating. It could be breakfast in America, lunch in France, dinner in Argentina. And that food is bread. It is almost a universal food found in pretty much every culture in its different forms around the world. You know, you've got your sliced bread from the USA and UK and everybody else that speaks English. You've got your bread roll. There's, um, what is this? Naan. Yes, thank you. From India. Your tortilla from Mexico. Your baguette from France. I mean, it doesn't matter where you go. Bread is a staple part of the culture. And the weird thing is, you can eat bread at any meal. You can have it for breakfast, you can have it for lunch, you can have it for dinner. Bread is kind of just a part of it all. So it's no wonder then that one of the sacraments that Jesus initiated is tied to food, specifically to bread. We're in a series called Dot Com. We began last week and we're looking at some of the comms in our lives, like complicated Somebody, anybody's life complicated? Lives get complicated. Um, I've, I've put some commitment, comfortable, complete, command, complaint. And this morning, today, we've got a twofer. We're going to look at communion and community. Because those two things are kind of cousins. They're linked together. They're close relatives. Now, Right up front, I'm going to tell you, today's message is kind of a teaching, all right? It's a little bit different than normal, so it's a lesson. Bear with me. Sometimes we need to do a lesson. It's a little bit different. So let me talk about communion for a little bit. First off, if you've got your notes there, did I put this in your notes? No, I didn't, so it doesn't matter. It has various names. Many of the older traditions, uh, Catholicism, Anglican, the like, they call it the Eucharist. And the Eucharist is derived from the Greek word Eucharista, meaning thanksgiving. So communion was a time of thanksgiving. When Sandra and I first came down to Texas 21 years ago at this church, and I remember our first communion at this church, it was called the Lord's Supper. And that's pretty common in the Baptist tradition. It's the Lord's Supper. Some churches call it Holy Communion. I just call it communion because the very first church that I ever attended, they called it communion. And, you know, things kind of stick with you. So it's always been communion for me. It is one of two sacraments that we observe in the church. Now, a sacrament is a religious ceremony 
or ritual that was instituted by Christ himself. You ever hear that word sacrament and you wonder what it is? It's something that Jesus did that we continue to do to this day. So we have two of them. One is baptism. Jesus got baptized, so we baptize. And the other one is communion. Now, some other faiths, some other denominations, they might have three or four or five other sacraments. But typically in the Baptist church, we just have baptism and communion. So I want us to look a little bit about the actual event. It's in all three, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and also found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, 1 Corinthians 11 kind of amalgamates Matthew, Mark, and Luke, so that's the one we're going to look at. So if you've got your Bible, but I put it right on your notes there. I didn't do a very good job with these notes, I don't think. So 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. We're going to read through it, and then I'm going to dive into it. And this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. He says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Now in that little passage of scripture, we we see seven different things that communion is an act of. So this is right on your notes there. First off, communion is an act of tradition. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. Now, Jesus didn't physically pass on the act of communion to Paul, but we we believe that the book of Corinthians was written about maybe 50 years after Jesus had ascended into heaven. So communion had already become a tradition by this time. So Paul is saying, we've we've received this right from Paul, uh, from Jesus, and I'm passing it on to you. Now, it's kind of interesting. None of the other letters in the New Testament mention communion or the Lord's Supper. This is the only time outside of the Gospels that, it, that it's really mentioned in there. Only Paul. And he says, here's a tradition. I got it from the Lord. I'm passing it on to you so that you can pass it on to the next generation. And here we are 2,000 years later celebrating communion together. Now, tradition is important. We shy away from tradition in the Baptist church because there are denominations where tradition is a big part of of their ritual and everything else. And we're like, oh, no, no, we don't want to be trapped by that. But sometimes you kind of throw out the baby with the bathwater. We say that, right? Good. Tradition is important because tradition informs us on on what to do and how to do it and why to do it. The problem with tradition sometimes is we forget the why. And we do things and we don't know why we do it anymore. Classic example, the Lord's Prayer. Who walks around in their daily life saying, Thy, thou art, and thine? Anyone? But whenever we say the Lord's Prayer, we automatically zip into this King James English, don't we? Our Father who art in heaven. How often does the word hallowed come up? (laughs) Or trespasses. I mean, 
Those are traditions. And then we teach that to our kids in exactly the same language. Why do we do that? Because it's a tradition. It's strange. And then sadly, not so much anymore, but, and please, I'm not ridiculing if you're one of these people, but then you hear people pray in that language. As soon as they go to prayer, they start thy and thou, as if that makes the prayer more holy or gets them closer to God because they're praying in old King James English. It's just tradition. That's why services like this sometimes is important. You know, we, we celebrate communion every month. But sometimes we've got to stop and think, why do we celebrate communion? What's important about communion? So first one, it's a tradition. Second one, it is an act of grace. It says, on the night when he was betrayed. I think this is so significant that Jesus instituted this sacrament of grace on the very night that the people who were closest to him The men who had walked with him for three years or so, who swore their allegiance to him on the very night that each one of those would desert him and betray him is the night that he instituted this sacrament of grace. I just think it's so interesting. And, and, And we've all done it, haven't we? We've all let Jesus down. We've all made promises and not kept promises. I'm going to do this, Jesus. I'm going to love you. I'm going to put you first. Oh, well, unless, of course, something else happens. Have you ever been tra- betrayed by someone close to you? Don't raise your hands because they might be sitting beside you. It hurts. Imagine how it must have been for Jesus when everybody that was close to him betrayed him all at the same time. That's got to break your heart. And yet right before that moment, right before he goes to the cross, before the betrayal, he begins this process of grace. Now, how do we respond to grace? How do we respond to that kind of grace? I've got three things for you. First, you must understand what grace is. It is undeserved merit. You get something you don't deserve, and you don't get something you do deserve. So it's like one of my kids that does something wrong, grievously wrong, like eat my dinner. They deserve retribution. But if in my kindness and in my grace, I decided instead of giving them retribution that they deserve, I'm going to give them something they don't deserve. Here's my dessert. That's a good one, isn't it? Second, we pass it on. We pass it on to people who don't deserve it. We want to treat other people the way we want Christ to treat us. And the most times when we need to to pass on grace are to those very people that in our hearts, we think they don't deserve it. They should get what's coming to them. They did this to me. They had no right to do this to me. They've not even said sorry. They're They're still bad. They should get it. But grace is when we come to that place where they deserve it. 
but we don't give. We forgive. That's what I need from Jesus. Is that what you need from Jesus? It's right in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Thee, thy, thou, thou art. Forgive us our trespasses, <laughs> our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. I hate that line in the prayer. I change it. Honestly, I do. <laughs> Lord, forgive me as I would like to forgive those. <laughs> Teach me to forgive those. Do you hold on to past grievances? You know, just this, this weekend, so I'm preparing this, and a couple things came up. I can't remember what it was now. And there was something that my son James did years ago. James passed away three years ago. <laughs> I said to my wife, oh, I remember when James did such and such and such and such. She said, you need to let that go. <laughs> You're right. Third, we own it. We own it. When Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, that was complete. He didn't die there for some of your sins. He died on the cross for all of your sins. And sometimes I talk to people and they're walking around with burdens over things that they did years ago and they've not come to the place where they've been able to let it go and forgive themselves. And what you do when you carry that kind of guilt with you, you cheapen what Jesus Christ did on the cross. When he was on that cross and he said the words, it is done, he meant it. So if you're walking around with guilt or burden, you need to let it go. Now, if there's someone that you need to put that right with, maybe there's an apology that needs to be made. Maybe there's, this has not had closure. You need to do that. But once that's done, even if that person doesn't accept your apology, your sincere apology, you have no control over that. But Jesus says, I paid for that. It's done. Now you let it go. And the burden is upon them to forgive in the way that Christ forgives. But sometimes that's hard. So you own it. Third, it is an act of thanksgiving. The Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. So first off, Jesus thanks God for the physical provision of food. That's why we say grace at meals, because the Lord thanked the Lord for food. Thank you, God, for your provision. But we also give thanks for the spiritual sustenance gained by Jesus through this sacrifice. My body broken for you. Thank you, Lord. It's an act of thanksgiving. You know, let me just park on this for a second. Gratefulness is probably the best soul food that you can eat. I've said this before and I got told off for saying it by somebody, but I'm saying it again. It's hard to be depressed and grateful. You've got to work at that. So if you suffer with depression, turn your heart to gratefulness and you, you will begin to heal your depression. It's really difficult to be honestly, truly grateful in your spirit and depressed because it just changes your thinking. Thank you, God. You're not worried about what you didn't get or it's not fair or I should have had. It's thank you, God. 
And it's something that we need to practice. We need to practice gratefulness. My wife is wonderful at it. Me, not so good. So I try to learn from her. And, and she's got a lot to be thankful for. <laughs> it's not that funny. <laughs> Number four, it is an act of obedience. This is really simple. Jesus said, do this. Not much argument with that, is there? Do this. Do this. When somebody says, do this, and they're in charge, what do you do? You do it. Do this. No, don't need any more depth on that one. And then it is an act of remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me. Every time we take communion, we remember Christ, and we remember what it means to be Christian. Now, this is important. I want to camp on this one for a second. There's so many facets here. We don't want to take communion lightly because it, it just reminds us of who we are in Christ. To be like Christ. So I think I put, what number are we on here? Five. Yes, if you switch over. I've got one, two, three, four, five. Oh, that didn't come out very good. Five things that remind us of what it is to be Christian. First off, we remember his sacrifice. Every time we do this, we do this because Jesus was sacrificed. Number two, we partake in his suffering. Oh, Pastor Mike, I don't want to partake in Christ's suffering. I like being a Christian, but I want the good side of Christianity. I want my life to be good. and eh. That's not how it is, is it? Life's hard. People die. People we love die. People get sick. People lose jobs. People run out of money. Kids run away and you don't know where they are. Life is tough. We partake in Christ's suffering. We're still here. But in that, we don't respond to that suffering as the world responds to that suffering. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. We model his obedience. Christ was obedient to go to the cross. We receive his grace. And we accept his forgiveness. Grace is a free gift that is given, but you have to accept it. Jesus said, I died on the cross for your sin. Your sin separates you from the Father. There's no amount of goodness, there's no amount you can do to overcome your sin. Do I have to do the dog poop analogy again? Come see me afterwards if you want to know the dog poop analogy. But if you were to make some cookies and put a spoonful of dog poop in it, would you serve those cookies? What if it was 99% good and only 1% dog poop? Would you serve them? When we come to God and we try to present ourselves as good because we're 99% good, it's the same as those cookies. It's like, no, thank you. It's either pure or it's not pure. We can't be pure. We can't get to God. That little bit separates us from God. And Jesus came. He said, no longer is your goodness the way that you get to my Father. My sacrifice on the cross and my forgiveness of your sin is the way that you get to my Father. And you have to receive that forgiveness. That's we ask Jesus. Please forgive my sin. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. I believe that you are alive today. Please come into my life and forgive my sin. Six, it is an act 
of covenantal agreement. That's a biggie. An act of covenantal agreement. It says, in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. A covenant is a binding agreement. It's more than simply a promise. Jesus' sacrifice is absolute and complete. When he paid for your sins, it was paid in full. It is the ultimate. It is the final sacrifice. And through it, your salvation cannot be stolen or lost. I know people that believe that you can be saved and then you can be unsaved. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible says that if you sincerely ask Jesus Christ to come into your life as your Lord and Savior, and you ask him for forgiveness of sins, he doesn't say, yeah, possibly. He says, yes, I died on the cross for forgiveness of sins. Your sins are forgiven. John 10, 28 and 30 says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. It is unequivocal. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are stamped, paid in full. Number seven, it is an act of hope. It says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. We have the hope of eternal life, but we don't have it right now, do we? It is a hope that is to come. We're stuck here in this broken world, experiencing the brokenness and the pain of this world. But we have the hope of something better. And here's the, fo- here's the deal, folks. As Christians, we're not to live with the mentality that this is all that there is. We're to live as kingdom people with our eyes fixed upon what is to come and our lives should be fashioned around living for what is to come. Jesus is number one in my life. I'm going to live for Jesus. Everything I do is about Jesus because everything about Jesus was for me. Okay, so let me recap. Communion is an act of tradition. It is an act of grace. It is an act of thanksgiving. It is an act of obedience. It is an act of remembrance. It is an act of covenantal agreement. And it is an act of hope. It is something that is very, very special. I don't know. I pray. I can see by your faces. Teaching is kind of, oh, please stop, Pastor Mike. (laughs) Some people like teaching. Thank you, Vicky. I just felt the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I felt the Holy Spirit. So I want you to teach on this today. Do you remember your first communion? Most people that were raised in the church don't really remember their first communion because you've always been in church. I haven't always been in church. We came late on. And I remember our first communion. We were talking about it the other day. At least it was, I don't know, maybe I had a communion at a church service somewhere. But the first meaningful communion. We were attending St. Andrew's United Church in Spruce Grove, Alberta, Canada. And it's Canadian Thanksgiving today. 
We're going to go home and celebrate together. We're going to gather around the meal table. And uh, to join the church, you had to be confirmed. This is a tradition in a lot of traditional churches. And we went to classes for a number of weeks. It's like Lakeway 101, but much more extensive. And it was perfect because neither of us had any church background. We didn't know anything about church. So every Sunday we would go and and Gordon, the, the elder that was in charge of that, taught us all of this stuff. And then the Thursday before Easter, in traditional churches, they have a service on the evening of the Thursday before Easter. It's called Monday Thursday. It is the celebration of the day that Jesus gathered with his disciples. That was on the Thursday evening before Good Friday. And at that service, we were welcomed into membership. And I can remember kneeling up on the stage and Pastor Gordon, another Gordon, came and and prayed over us. And he had a table set up on the stage with 12 chairs. And each group of 12 people came up and sat at the table, just like the Last Supper, and shared communion together. And we served communion to one another, which is something that we're going to do in a minute. And I just remember how meaningful it was. But one little funny thing, we had invited some friends that weren't church people. But even back then, right at the get-go, we knew this Jesus stuff is good. We've got to invite people. So we, inv- we had invited people, and we're sitting at the table, and the bread comes along, and you're supposed to say, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ broken for you. And then you pass it to the next person. <laughs> and this fellow, my friend, he didn't know what to say. And I heard him say, there was, a, there was me, then there was him, then there was a kid. And he got the bread, and he passed it to the kid, and I heard him say, get that down, you. <laughs> Took away from the solemnity of the occasion just a little bit, but I still remember that. It was so meaningful. I love communion, and I often feel we do it every month. Some churches do it every week, and it's done and dusted in about. 10 minutes and we all go home. And when I read the scriptures about Jesus sitting with his disciples on that Thursday and everything that was about to unfold and the power of that moment, there's something in me that just wants to make it more meaningful. So we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. I've set some tables up back there. Some of you are already sitting there. You are now victims. I want to invite you to have communion together as a community. Communion and community go hand in hand together. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17 says, The cup that we use in the Lord's Supper and for which we give thanks to God, when we drink from it, we are sharing in the blood of Christ. And the bread we break when we eat it We are sharing in the body of Christ because there is one loaf of bread, that's Jesus. All of us, though many, are one body, for we share the same loaf. And what Paul is teaching here, he's saying, in other words, when we symbolically drink the blood of Christ, which seems kind of weird, doesn't it? 
It caused division in the church when Jesus first said that. When we drink his blood and we eat his flesh, Christ doesn't become fragmented because there are many of us. When we, as, as a community, gather together and share the elements of communion, the wine, the juice, and the bread, instead of Jesus becoming fragmented, we become one in Christ because we all share of the one Christ. And it unifies us in Christian community. That's what this is all about. So I've set up some tables at the back. Now, there's more of you showed up today than normally does. So I don't know how many seats are back there. But I'm going to invite you. It's going to be a little bit chaotic. For you people online, hang with me. I'll loop back to you. I'm going to invite you to go back to a table. If you came with family, go back as a family. If you came with friends, you've got Christians that you like, sit together as Christians, and we're going to share communion together. Now, if you don't like to do that, if that, you know what, start, start moving on back. Start moving, pick a table and move on back. That's got you scared back there sitting at those tables. Look, they're wrapping up their stuff. Quick, quick, get out of here. Now, if that is uncomfortable for you, we're still going to serve communion traditionally right here in a moment. Um, and online, I'll come back to you. Now, here's, here's how we're going to do it. This is chaos, all right? It's messy church. Get some more chairs in there. If you need some more chairs. Can we go to that uh, slide that's got the, this, my body, keep going. There you go. Sometimes people get a little nervous because they don't know what to say. So I put it right up there for you. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to commune together. You can chat. I'm going to give you permission to chat. Someone at each table, someone raise a hand up. Randy, John, Mo, come on. David. What's your name, young lady? (laughs) Teresa. All right, you're in charge. I want you to take the bread. And you're going to serve the bread to one another. And as you serve it, you're going to say the body of the Lord Jesus Christ broken for you. Now, here's how you do it. This is complicated. You serve it to the person on your right. They take the bread and then you give it to the person on your left. And then they serve you. And then you pass it. So you're not got the bread and you're trying to serve it. So... Go ahead, start doing that. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ broken for you. If you would prefer, if you don't want to take communion, you could just sit quietly. If not, uh, Jan is going to be right here to serve communion to you. So you can come up and and take the bread and take the juice and, and go back to your seat and we'll do it the traditional way. So please feel free to come on up here for communion. If you are at home, if you are watching online and you're with someone, I want you to serve communion to each other. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ broken for you.
When everybody's got the bread, take the juice. Do the same thing with the juice, except you're going to say the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed for you. So each person will have bread and juice. Okay? It's chaos. It was designed that way. Now, if you're chatting, waiting for us, tell somebody at the table the most embarrassing thing you've ever done. Or wait quietly. You can talk. It's community. Are you going to take that back to the girls? Are you going to take that back for the girls too? You're going to? Let me steal some of this then. What did Jesus say were the two greatest commandments? Anyone remember? Love the Lord your God. And the second one is similar. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. When we commune in this way, we are loving. We are communing with God the Father. We are communing with Jesus Christ. And we are communing with one another. And that's a special time. So the body of the Lord Jesus Christ... Oh, I didn't pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this moment where we gather together as a community and commune with you and commune with one another. Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that on that night, he set this sacrament out and, and it's been handed down through time. Father, we gather just as he gathered with his disciples. And Father, we thank you for all that it means to be Christian. We thank you for Jesus' sacrifice. We thank you for his grace. We thank you for his forgiveness. We thank you that no matter what we have done, there is grace sufficient for us. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you, take and eat. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, shed for you, take and drink. Father, thank you that we can partake of this simple ceremony. And through that bread and through that juice, we are unified in the power of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Amen. Okay. Stay where you're at. Did you get communion? Good. I hope that was meaningful for you.
It's a little bit different to commune together as we share communion. You know, I, I just felt good because Mo got to be here with all of his family. They're gathered together and they get to share communion together. And I think that's special too. So thank you, Father. All right, what's going on? October 24th. We are doing whatever that event is called. <laughs> it's the fourth annual Laker, Lakeway Winterwear Outerwear Drive. Car show, food, face paint, yard games, candy, bounce house, harvest photo ops, service on the lawn at 11 a.m., sponsored by the Six Skulls and Melissa the Pie Lady. A lot of stuff goes on when I go on vacation. <laughs> but that's cool. That's good. Here's, why, here's what's important about October the 24th. So we're going to do church out there. So I need you. There's different ways that you can all participate in this. Number one, start praying. The weather has been absolutely gorgeous, hasn't it? We need it to stay gorgeous for another two weeks, and then it can do whatever it wants. But I want a, a nice, good blue sky, nice morning, just like they've been. This gives us an opportunity to commune together and serve our community. We're going to, um, we've put out a thousand flyers. Where's John? A thousand flyers, gone to schools and all, all over the place. People know that we're doing this. Now, here's how you can be a part of it. You can pray. You can donate. Um, you can write a check if you want, or you can go online. Chris is going to set up Tithely for a, a place for the coat drive. You can give that way. Are we taking coats or are we just taking donations this year? You will take coats? Where are you? There you are. All right, so where do they bring them? Just bring them here. Are we going to have a box or something set up? At Lakeway Lanes. That's the bowling alley. We're Baptists. <laughs> Hezekiah, Hezekiah 12.4. Read it when you get home. There is no Hezekiah. Okay, but we'll have a box here too. <laughs> we'll, we'll set up a box here. So you can be a part of it that way. Now, I asked you to start praying for five names. A few weeks ago, I said, think about five people who are disconnected with Christ. We're going to have a good old-fashioned, Jesus loves you, Jesus died for you service that morning. It's not going to be deep, but it's going to be powerful because we're just going to talk about the grace of Jesus Christ. We're doing it out there. It's a safe place to bring someone. Now, I've asked you to start praying. I got good news. Two people that I know people have been praying for already have got saved and are ready to be baptized. That is pretty cool, isn't it? My sister Karen, who's watching right now, I believe, is she? I said we're going to share communion today to her. And have you ever shared communion? And she said, yeah, but it's going to be special tomorrow <laughs> because it's her first communion with Jesus Christ in her heart. So while we were on vacation. Now, I've got to get my head around the new way of doing things because I preach and I believe the local church is what it's all about, this, this gathering. But now we live in a community that is connected by technology. So I 
talked to Karen, and I said, well, you, you need to get baptized. And I thought we would do it while I was over there on holiday. And she said, no, no, Lakeway is my church. I'll fly over to Lakeway, and you'll baptize me there. So that's going to be next year. And then someone else came up to me uh, before the service today and said, my one, I've been praying for my one. He wants to get baptized. So God is already moving. So, you know, pray for those people. Maybe they're not going to come to the service on October the 24th, but just keep praying for them. And I keep challenging you each week. Last week, I, I told you, pray a prayer and ask God to use you in a manner that takes you outside of your comfort zone. Anybody doing that? Two of us? Three? Okay, a few of us. It's scary. It's like, take me outside of my comfort zone. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but ask God to use you in bringing those people to know him and his son. And he will equip you and he will give you the words. And maybe all it is, is for you to say, hey, we're having a thing at Lakeway. Why don't you come and bring them here on October the 24th, okay? So be praying about that. Be a part of it. You can bring a coat. Um, you can make a donation. But show up. Yes, ma'am. I can use some uh, Say it again so I can tell people. Chips. Chips. Non chocolate, non peanut candy. What is the point? Yeah. <laughs> water, bottled water, cases of water. So if you're at home and you're going to be a part of it, you, you can bring that on when do you need it by? Before October the 24th, so we can chill the water and yeah. And if you've got chocolate candy, Bring it. <laughs> I'll find a way of using that. All right, that's, that's all I got for you this morning, folks. Oh, don't forget offering. Benevolence, thank you. Now, this is kind of awkward. We used to take up our offering, and then we'd have communion, and then at the end we'd say to people, this is when we... We take a second offering for benevolence. This is money that goes to help people who need help. And I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of people that need help these days. But because we don't pass the offering around anymore, it's kind of got a little difficult. So Lynn is at the door there. How are we going to... That little basket there, that's for benevolence. So if you've got a few dollars in your wallet that's up above and beyond your tithe and your giving, put it in there and you can put your offering in the other one or just go online and give your offering that way. So it's a little messy. I'm sorry. I hate to do that to you, but... um, But we need to care for people. We need to care for people. Thank you all for being here today. I hope this communion was meaningful to you. Please stand. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks that we are connected wherever we are online. My sister over in England, people in Florida, people in Canada, everybody in this room. Father, through the beauty of communion and sharing the bread and sharing the wine, we become one in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you for your blessings. 
And we pray now as we leave this place that we would not hold on to those blessings, but we would share them abundantly with everyone that we meet. Father, bless us so that we can be a blessing. And Father, I pray October the 24th, you bring a great harvest and we just have a great time out there. Bring the bikers. I want to see them at church, Father. Would you bring the bikers to us? That would just be awesome. So Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your blessing. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming.